to the Just Put On A Movie Teacher Movie Podcast. My name is David. When I went to college, I was sure I was going to the film industry. I wanted to be a screenwriter or a director or something along those lines because I love movies. But then I was taught by a host of really inspiring, talented, and passionate teachers in college. And this changed my outlook on what I wanted to do with my life and my career. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to inspire people like they inspired me. And so I did. I got my credential and I've been a high school teacher for many years now. But I still have a love of movies. And with this podcast, I wanted to combine those two passions uh, and talk about movies, uh, teaching movies in particular, with people I enjoy. Today, we are going to be talking about one of the most famous teaching movies of all time, Dead Poets Society, directed by Peter Ware from 1989 and starring Robin Williams and Ethan Hawke. Now, this movie is famous for inspiring a generation of teachers because of the famous scenes from the movie where Robin Williams inspires inspires these kids to come out of their shell, inspires them to learn, and inspires them to learn uh, life lessons and learn about themselves. We love this movie, uh, but we also, (laughs) and we talk about that, but we also have some problems with it about how it misrepresents what teaching is. how what what's expected from teachers and uh how this movie kind of underrepresents a lot of different populations and students and other things about the teaching uh career that are not addressed in this movie but it's still a classic and we hope you enjoy uh, our episode first though quick disclaimer uh this podcast is not safe for work (laughs) so do not listen to it in your classroom listen to it on your on your own with a with a glass of wine or something Trust me, we are all very passionate teachers. We are current teachers. We care about our students. And the main point of this podcast is to have some fun and crack some jokes. And hopefully we don't don't offend anyone's favorite teaching movie. All right, let's talk about Dead Poets Society. Hi, I'm John. Uh, I've been teaching for 24, 25 years. Hi, I'm Annette, and I've been teaching for over 20 years for sure. And... I have put on a movie many, 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 too many times to count. Hi, I'm Michelle, and I've been teaching for 19 years. And I have put on a movie at least a couple of times per semester in my classes because I think that it's really useful to critically analyze film as a text. And students actually really like watching movies about teachers. So I've used them quite a bit in my classes. Uh, hi, my name is Elder. I've been teaching for a few months and I am yet to show a movie because I'm only teaching on Zoom, but I did have them watch one at home. So there's that. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Tim. I'm a college professor. I've been teaching for five years and I do schedule movies for most classes every semester, but uh, I have never had a day where I said, fuck it, I'm putting on a movie. Um, but uh, again, if I was a high school teacher, I would absolutely be doing that. I'd be sorely tempted to turn my English comp class into film history. All right. Hey, everyone. I'm David. I'm a high school teacher. I've taught for seven years. And if I had to guess, maybe 27 times <laughs> I've put on a movie. And uh, so let's get into it here. That's a specific right, guys. number for a guess. It's very, it's very, yeah. it's very, very specific. Um, Dead Poet Society. What did everybody think? Loved it. I love it. I always have. I always will. It was okay. (laughs) I I didn't like it in the 80s, and I I liked it a little bit more this time. I'll give you a summary of it. 
hardworking dad gets uh, disrespected by his son. Oh fuck he, off! He doesn't follow the curriculum. Fuck off twice. Master. <laughs> no offense. Wait, what? <laughs> Elder, Did do you we wanna, watch do you the same explain, movie? You want to explain that hot take? No, I'm just. I mean, I'm. I'm just saying. Like, I. I found myself surprisingly sympathizing with uh, that '70s dad. No. Uh, because I mean, he, he's not a complete asshole. He has his son's well-being at heart. Oh my heart. god! He he's summary of the Matrix. He's dead. Elder summary of the Matrix. Human battery farm fails to appropriately be grateful <laughs> to evil AI overlords. To Alexa. Don't get me started on that. I have strong pro uh, machine Wait, sentiments. Is this but... like a QAnon podcast? And I just didn't get that memo. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm saying that I'm not going to side with the oppressor. It's it's a vilification of working class values. First of all. Well, I mean, th- th- that's the kind of thing that I actually. I, uh, I okay. About the movie, that like I, I like all the stuff with the kids and like they're growing and that's great. But like this need to vilify the, the working class guy, this need to have the administration be evil, this idea that he has to be a monk in order to have value as a teacher. He's got to forego his relationship with this woman that he loves. He has to live in this tiny little thing. He's got to, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an idea based on uh, sacrifice. And the only, there's, there's certain people who have to sacrifice their livelihood, their happiness, everything in order to be good. And I, th- I think it set up a, a, a really bad expectation about both teachers and administrators. Yeah, yeah. I And John, you hit on something kind of important here. And, and one of my main takeaways from the movie is that this is not a slice of American public school. No, not like, at all. This is the very elite, the very top. Like they, they talk about how like these people are working class and then they cut to their wood paneled office and it's like right wait a exactly second. It's working yeah they're working class but it's yeah, like, they're working yeah. class wait everyone's white yeah everyone wears a suit class. you know what i mean like it's like yes thank you for that part come in. i at no point did i ever see except for like scholarship guys just that one guy that's that's the the one working class guy yeah they, they, yeah that's they have a scholarship dude yeah, they have a line up. I think there's a throwaway line about it where he's like, "Oh, he's working class," and it's like we're supposed to believe that. And I am. Nobody believes. I'm not that. rich, or my family's not rich like the other family. Right. I was really trying hard not to focus too much on the economic aspect of that. Like, I, I, I was figuring, you know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, that's what I, what I wanted to look at was a teacher relationship, and I really didn't see the teacher being. I don't, I don't see this as a teacher movie very much. That's when we were, uh, when Annette and I watched it, when we finished watching it, that was one of the first things I said was, I am honestly not sure how much of a teacher movie this is, which, and we talked about before we met, like, what exactly are the criteria for something to be a teacher movie? And I mean, I don't think it can be a toggle. I think it has to be a spectrum. So where on the spectrum is this, where on the spectrum of teaching movies or teacher movies is this? I don't know. But, well, I think the pedagogical approach that he uses in the movie, uh-huh. I think, is what appeals to teachers and what sets it up as an example for as a teaching movie, you know, as, as that. Really, so, because we didn't really delve until the, until the third act. We don't really delve into him as a person. We just see him as kind of a foil character. So all his pedagogical approach really feels masturbatory. 
for teachers, like seeing this, this, this figure come here and motivate students without really understanding what him as a person, as a, as a character. I disagree with that. Oh no, sorry. No, go ahead. And yeah, I didn't see it as like, <laughs> as masturbating elder. I get what you're saying that it's like kind of self-glorifying, right. but um, I, I agree with what Annette said. I think that is really appealing when you see him like using these new oh, innovative approaches yeah. and like really connecting with the students on a human level instead of just lecturing and um, yeah. I think, I think it's important to recognize that, yeah, like what Tim was saying, this is not a teacher movie or like we're all kind of saying, this yeah. is a movie about the students going to a prep school. And so we get highlights of the great Robin Williams, who is perfectly cast here, uh, because we get highlights of, you know, what would a student remember of a great teacher? They're going to remember these moments where they stand on the desk or they rip out the first page of their textbook. You know, they're going to remember those moments. They won't necessarily rem remember the boring classes. I mean, I think if I, you I felt that it was such a two-dimensional thing, like it's, it's, we see the, you know, it, it's like when, I, you know, when you tell your buddies about the hot girl you met at a club or something, you only <laughs> see the outside or the, the perspective. You don't see her as a person, the, the complexity of this person, the their character, their intellect or whatever. And we really don't see that with Robin Williams' character until like, like I said, until the third act a little bit. For the most part, he's just there to satisfy the egos of, of his students. Does every character dimensional to students? I'm sorry. Teachers are almost always two dimensional to students. Teachers are set up as a profession to be two dimensional. Right. And that's life, what you I, I, don't have, uh, you know, when you see it's, and I know it's different for for college people, but as a public school educator, like, you know, they don't think about us having kids or going to the movies or having a life outside of school. It's a little bit different with the older kids. Um, you know, the difference between like freshmen and seniors, but I think I think even seniors see your teacher dimensional. When which, they see outside of the classroom, they freak out. Yeah, which which uh, strengthens the argument that this is not a teacher movie, this is a student movie. Right. right? Because the teachers are seen as two dimensional. Yeah. Um, and flatly good or flatly evil right you have like really you know the the, the what do you call it the headmaster the the, the you know uh, mr spanky and uh, you have robin williams and they're these two really two-dimensional characters with each other but you really don't they don't really matter in in, in themselves as characters it's, it's the students who you know and how they affect the students can we talk about some like specific scenes or examples from the film that like kind of illustrate the things that were like the ideas we're throwing around I want textual evidence, people. <laughs> well, you're first. Jump in. <laughs> okay. Um, let me, I'm looking at my jump notes. In. I actually, what? Do I have a pen? Is that what you said? I said I can jump in. Oh, I have, if you want to go ahead, I can wait. Go I ahead. have something I want to say. I don't know. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. David mentioned this, but one of my first impressions of the movie and this is as a woman and as like half a person of color, I'm half Japanese. So I pass for white, like a lot of people think I'm white, but I don't really identify as white. And so when I saw it, it looked very alienating to me just watching it. Like it was, you know, the whole situation and the entire cast did not feel relatable to me at all. Um, and then there's a line from a poem that Robin Williams or his character 
I'm blanking on his name in the movie right now, and I cannot believe it. Keating, Mr. Keating. Okay, Mr. Keating. Thank you. So mm -hmm. Mr. Keating says something to the boys in one of their initial interactions, and he says, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. And then he starts talking about Carpe Diem. Yeah, I've taught that poem and before. Yeah, I yep. think it's yeah. about 14 minutes into the poem is To the Virgins to Make Much of Time by Robert Herrick. Yeah, and yeah. that poem to me has always felt slightly date rapey or kind of like you <laughs> better hurry up while you're still oh. young and beautiful. Because if it's you don't, toxic and, yeah. like I hear I, I can put the poem up, actually. Yeah, uh, so, Michelle, you're 100 percent right. So. <laughs> I mean, look here, he says that age is best, which is the first when youth and blood are warmer, but being spent the worst and worst time still succeed the former. <laughs> then be not coy. He's talking to women. He's not telling men not to be coy. Men are never coy. He's talking to women, but use your time and while you may go marry for having lost, but once your prime, you may forever tarry. You might That's never get laid. You might never get laid if you're out of your prime. Yeah, and you <laughs> yeah. better hurry up while you're still young and beautiful. Wow. Like, don't try to hold it. What you have is not that special. It's getting old like everything else. I'd I just... like to point so... out that that picture of him, he has a Mr. Brady perm. <laughs> that has nothing so, to do with what you're saying. To connect it back to the film, though, I just, again, in terms of feeling alienated from the film like as someone who doesn't identify as white and as female and then hearing that line taken out of context and him mm -hmm. putting his carpe diem and really kind of glorifying that mentality if it sees the day yes but this poem is not really about seize the day it's like seize the vagina or like yeah that's there, there's my yeah. first thing you're 100 percent hitting on something that i think is really interesting two things one this is a 1980s movie we're, you know we're here in 2021 oh my god we're in 2021 and uh, yeah, so we've we've learned, or well, not us personally, but society has learned so much about uh, not being an asshole. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, the Hollywood scriptwriters weren't thinking of the uh, you know women watching this film. I mean, is there even a female character in the entire movie? There's yeah, there's a few. They're all very backgroundy. Very backgroundy. Yeah, there's yeah, Neil's mother. Oh, right. And there's the whole plot where the guy's trying to get the girl, right? Like one of the side right. characters. Right. Yeah. He's also being very date rapey about that. Well, you know, okay. So, this oh was, my gosh, I forgot about that, but totally. This is outside of Michelle's experience, but it's totally in mine. I, I went to a uh, all boys private high school, and this is very much toned down. Uh, you want to talk about homophobic and date rapey? Every single moment at that high school was like that. It was yeah. really, I was a 15 year old boy and I was like, you, you guys, you teachers might want to calm down there. You know? I, can I talk about a scene that I, I, I as, a, as a person of high melanin content was um, when, when they're coming out of the cave for the first time after, after meeting there and they're seeing, they're reciting this uh, Vestal Lindsay uh, poem, songish poem uh, called The Congo. And it, 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 they're, they're kind of, uh, the poem itself has been criticized for its portraying uh, uh, African peoples as primitive and, 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 and feral almost. And, and that's exactly the attitudes that they come out of this cave with as, you know, letting loose and uh, embracing their animalistic tendencies to, you know, what they call it, carpe diem. And, uh, but, the, you know, there are these white kids coming out of the cave. Um, and just like Michelle Lizzie was this white man, you know, 
of viewing or, or trying to portray Africans in, in the light that he wanted, I found that particularly disturbing as a as that image as, as, as a celebration of of uh, you know primitiveness or um, by these white kids. And of course, I mean it's time and place, and and, and they're in their fifties, and you know all that. But as you know, a person of color, I, 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 that scene stuck out with me as um, very alienating. Also, like I think Michelle said that you know, term earlier. That's what those places are training those kids to do sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, of course. I Absolutely. mean, like I said, you know, uh, do we have? Do we know when this movie takes place? Like in the sixties and seventies? Nineteen fifty. Fifty something. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's you know. the Eisenhower administration. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I genuinely don't know if they specify the year, but it, yeah, it's like the late fifties. We're we're not yet. The Beatles haven't even broke. One of the things I like uh, that I really appreciate about the movie is uh, so this came out in nineteen eighty nine, made probably in eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah, and uh, it was one of the first. It was certainly one of the first major. Uh, motion picture releases uh, to sort of serve as counter programming for what the 50s had been portrayed as, mm. which was all American graffiti and Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and all that nonsense. Like it was just this great old time, right? You know, Happy Days uh, and uh, everything was white. <laughs> there were no people of color in those, until very late in the series of Happy Days where there are people of color and uh, they barely even touched on uh, poor people. It was all sort of upper middle class. You work hard and you blah, blah, blah. It was, they, they, it was propaganda. All of these films and TV shows were propaganda for how wonderful this simpler time was when the truth of the situation was they were wildly oppressive. And, and for, let us not even talk about if you're a person of color or a woman or whatever. Um, it's all kinds of problematic. But even for... Even for uh, white men, it was a wildly oppressive time. God forbid you had the yearning to do something like insane, like like being a play. Uh, the the setting of the of, of the film is a. Do you guys ever read a separate piece by John Knowles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's total. I mean, it was it was probably you know some of the worst writing ever, you know, penned. But I found that same um, alienation here where it creates this utopic almost, uh, you know, uh, and it's not the school itself is utopic, but the situation with these young men forming these bonds, incredibly homoerotic, by the way. Um, but that's so, sort of glorified that these, you know, the, the, the friendship between them and, and, and the little cliquish group they create. And it's the outside influences that are still kind of a threat, the, you know, the parents and the Things that want to in, interfere in that and interfere in that it's 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 seen as a as a negative thing or as a as a, as a threat to that, and I, I that's in itself a kind of a what do you call it a, a problematic um, mindset that it creates uh, with these especially you know white white males of privilege they can create these little bubbles to protect themselves out you know in this idyllic settings outside from the outside world. So, so on the, so two things, one, yeah. So it's supposed to take place in the autumn of 1959, which, which I didn't know actually, um, when I watched it. No, I don't and, and the other thing too, is I think Tim has a really good point where, and I, and, and I don't know how the movie justifies this, but this kid kills himself 
because he wants to be an actor and his dad doesn't <laughs> want him to be an actor and he kills himself. Right. And so I was like, well, that's totally unbelievable. This has got to be a metaphor for him being gay or something, right? Like, well, that's Annette and I were talking about that too. I've always assumed that Neil was gay. It's yeah, never because he's, explicitly he's the best character. <laughs> it's never explicitly stated in the in the movie, but I just made this assumption about him, and I felt like one of the reasons the father uh, and the mother were so strict with like what, controlling his life and you know what he's allowed to do are to rein in his you know flagrant tendencies or whatever right exactly however they would phrase it but i mean that is purely what i am reading into the movie i don't know that there's a shred of evidence for it other than i think i mean when when i when i first thought i just well he's a bad son and i still stick to that but um (laughs) i i I, now that you're saying it i do see a lot of the i I do see that definitely uh interpretation as having some water to it especially with the character of puck um you know this uh Right, free and uh, you know, um, uh, in his natural state character, that uh, he that, that Neil is just drawn to, you know. I just want to chime in and say I didn't see the homosexual thing at all, but I do agree it's a little dramatic to. Yeah, well, kill himself I, I, over that, but and I'm yeah. not saying that it's the not there. I'm just saying teenagers I teenagers make wildly dramatic, shitty choices like that all the time, though. Yeah, they definitely don't allude at all that he's gay in the entire movie. But it's like, so your father doesn't want you to do a certain career. And after one play, you murder yourself. It's either bad writing <laughs> or they're alluding to something else. Like, that's what my mind was thinking. <laughs> oh, I could I could easily see a teenager, especially a teenager of some privilege like that, even though he's not the most privileged kid at that school. I could easily see a teenager from that demographic killing himself in a, a fit of like you know over dramatic histrionics. I I have no problem believing that. I have trouble believing it because that's not the character that we've seen. I mean, it, you know, it happens halfway through the movie, but before that, he hasn't really been portrayed as being particularly um, troubled or particularly repressed. I mean, when his father tells him that he's going to quit the what do you call it the the yearbook. yearbook thing. He didn't uh, take it particularly uh, bad. He's like, well, you know, that sucks, but okay, whatever. So um, when he reacts this badly to to being kicked, you know, taken off a play or whatever, and um, being sent to military school, again, I, I, I do see that as a bad writing or alluding to something much deeper and, uh, you know, latent homosexuality or, or something else. Yeah. Annette, yeah. you want to say something? I think that we're we're getting stuck on it, but the idea that because we're we only see a certain aspect, and we talked about the teacher being two dimensional, but kind of the surrounding boys, we don't see as much into their lives. And you have a, a kid who, yeah, is told like everything that he enjoys is constantly taken away from him and the amount of pressure that's put on him to become this greatness and to become the beacon for his family. Uh, Robin Williams, in that first scene, he walks the boys out when I wanna talk a little bit more about that too, but 
he they're looking at the pictures and he's saying, you know, their legacy whispers to you and make lives extraordinary. And what does that mean to make your life extraordinary? How much pressure do we put on kids to be the best? And then, you know, and you see this, the character of Neil, and he has to be the best son. He has to be the good son. He has to be the best in school because he, you know, uh, he doesn't have the same amount of finances that other people have. And he could lose this opportunity. And, you know, dad is, is control. How is he making his life? How much pressure is he under to make his life extraordinary? I think that's a really that good pressure. point. Sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. Like, what does that pressure do to children? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I had a lot of problems. So getting back to the, like, you know, the, the, the teaching part of this, like Robin Williams is not a great teacher. I mean, like you just mentioned that scene where he's like putting all this pressure on these, like, look at these people who came before you, you have to be just like them. Like, hold on I a disagree second. disagree with you on that one. I'll find really? you. <laughs> you know what? I, I, also like as someone who teaches poetry, you have to learn scansion. It, it's part of the, it's part of the thing. It's not all just like. It's not excrement, like he calls it. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> there's something there. It, it, there. There's value there. Not that it should be beat, you should be beaten over the head with it, but understanding it, I think, is important. Wait, John, poetry is not just to get in a woman's pants? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a... Because that was the whole motivation for learning poetry, wasn't it? We, we, <laughs> we learn, we write poetry to woo women. Well, right. that's what it was in the movie, too. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I don't, yeah. I keep coming back to that. I actually, I really liked... Robin or Michael, Michael Keating, right? Or John Keating, John Keating. John Keating. Gosh, yeah. I'm really sorry. We watched this a few weeks ago to our listeners and then we had to meet later. So in case people think we didn't actually watch this movie. Since the I saw it in 93. Um, I really liked him as a teacher. And I was going to ask if we could talk about Todd because that is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie is when Todd, who's Ethan Hawke's character, mm -hmm. is so terrified and can't think of a poem and... Uh, Mr. Keating pulls this thing out of him and he, he even covers his eyes and says, forget about them. Forget about them. They're not here because he cared so much about making a difference to Todd. And then at the end, he looks at him and he says, don't you forget this? And I just loved that. And so he completely won me over there. Although he, I was already on his side when we told him to rip up the book because I'm just like that. I like subversion and anarchy. So I'm like, yeah, rip up the books. As I'm department chair, no, let's maybe. So, you know, so, so yeah. So I think I think <laughs> we're discovering that. the department that... chair coming out. I think I, I think I think that's exactly what I really didn't like about the, the character is that he's again comes out uh, comes off as master masturbatory for teachers uh, or, or or the fantasy of somebody has as a, of what a teacher should be that they're this iconoclastic rebel who's going to come and shake things up and bring new life or some new, um, what do you call it, um, spark into the student's life. Well, that's not how teaching works. I mean, there's a, a pattern you follow. There's there's rules you follow. And um, I mean, I can people. see how somebody watching this, uh, you know, who might have, have no experience teaching or have, you know, doesn't have a lot of academic experience. Like that's what a teacher should do. That's why can't teachers do that? Why can't yep. they treat students like that? That is what teachers should do. No, okay. there, there, there's yes. a, there, there's yeah, a, I agree really with the net. There's a wonderful parody of this in the TV show community. 
uh, where you've got this sort of kidding character. Yes, and you're supposed yes, to, yes. He's, you're supposed to see the And the, there's a, a moment where, where they look at each other and said, isn't this supposed to be accounting? And you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but I, I understand what, what, what Annette's saying is that there is some degree of inspiration needed. Uh, but we also have to learn how to do scansion. Yeah, okay, but I mean, <laughs> by the way, I, I want to- about how to do scansion. I have a, yeah, I was going to say, uh, first like of all, that. I have an MFA, I have, for anyone listening, I have an MFA in poetry, and I suck ass at scansion, <laughs> but, but, um, I, I don't want to fucking see that lesson. Like, that's not a fucking <laughs> lesson they need to see. Yes, I, I, yes, I didn't say, yes. that's not what I said. That's not yeah. what I said. Uh, what I said, what we're talking about is he said that sc scansion is excrement. Well, okay, yeah, and he's wrong because clearly yeah. there is. I mean, uh, of course, the guy who wrote the gift of form would say this, but yeah. <laughs> but just say, oh, I just gave away who you are. Uh, anyway, <laughs> edit that out too. Anyway, so uh, but uh, I I don't know, man. I don't. Um, I I thought that that I I have never I mean yet had any moment so dramatic as that in one of my class sessions, but I love that he pulled that. I love that scene. I agree with you, Michelle. For me, it's the scene, the scene from the movie. Like, it is. It is, and I think movies are allowed to be a little the over the top dramatic in order to make right, the it's, point. It's the most uh, appealing as as a movie watcher. It's the most appealing. I just have a, such a negative view of inspiration porn that, you know, they came off negatively towards me. But. Fair enough. I, and, and I agree with you, Elder, on that point, too. So much of what teachers have done historically has been the sage on the stage. And so I have all the knowledge in my head and I need to import, impart this knowledge on my students and you need to learn this and you need to to re regurgitate it back and you need to blah, blah, blah. There are standards and I understand you have to meet the standards, but students will forget most of what they learn, but they will never forget the best quote, Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And Amen. from the very beginning, when Robin Williams comes in and or is in the closet room thing and then walks out of the classroom and then peeks back in and says, are you coming? So he gets the students up. That's kinesthetic learning right there. He has them march. That's kinesthetic learning. That's appealing to other people's modalities. And for so long, teachers only on one visual learner and that's it and if you were not a visual learner if you were, were not an auditory learner then you were screwed and you did not have success we can get in a lot of teacher movies you can get this inspiration and this is what you need to do and you need to make all these sacrifices Donald saying earlier and you need to give up your whole life in order to be the good teacher and that part i disagree with for sure 100 percent. but on the other side just this idea of changing perspective. He makes them physically stand on the desk as a visual representation to change your perspective. Try something new. When he covers uh, the kid's eyes 
and he is spinning him around. That physical motion and ability to block everything out is the demonstration of what pulls that out of him, what allows him to let go. And that is what teachers need to understand and need to realize that you do not have all the information and education is not imparting information. It's about learning, about helping students to become critical thinkers. It's about helping students to reach better understanding. If you just expect them to memorize all of these poems or all of this structure, and you never give them. A- well, I, I agree with you mostly, but I, I would I would suggest that structure is not something to be memorized. It's something to be understood, and then you use it in your own way, right? And so, I, 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 you, uh, gaining skills is not rote memorization. Um, it's it's a developing of a skill, right? Uh, and so, so I like that. Um, I, I, I like a lot of what he's doing for the, these kids too. Um, but as you said, uh, the, I, I had a little bit of problem with this too, in the same way that I have a problem with the West Wing. Um, and the West Wing, which I, I, I like very much, but the uh, opposition is always set up so with arguments that are so easy to knock down and it's oversimplified sort of, sort of things. And I, of course, I love the West Wing, right? It's, 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 it's a great show. That, that's, that's a criticism I'm always having with it. It's like, no, that guy wouldn't have said something like that. He, the, he, he, it's so obviously easily knocked down. He, he's not gonna, he's not gonna do that. The thing that we forget is we're treating Robin Williams like he's an actual teacher. <laughs> these are script writers writing a movie in Hollywood. Okay, wait. They don't I, know anything. <laughs> I want to jump in here because, and I think John, from knowing something about the way you teach, I think you'd relate to a lot of it too. Because I think the biggest mistake that we make as educators is to act like academics happen in some type of vacuum that's separate from addressing someone as a whole person. That's true. And we all, I think we'll all agree with this. If your students don't think that you care about them as people, they are not interested in anything you can possibly teach them. Yeah. Nothing that you say in the classroom means anything if you don't care about them as a human being. And like, in what universe do we help people learn anything, even if it's how to tie their shoes? How can you do that without some degree of compassion and empathy for what it was like when you didn't know how to tie your shoes? And so like I've had, I'm not, I don't want this to come across as being about me, but I really have had experiences similar to that in my own classes where there was a girl one day we were talking about um, affirmations because I actually have my students do affirmations in class at the beginning because the first day they bring drafts to class, they are terrified. They are so insecure about their writing. They are so scared of exposing deficiencies. And so we were talking about our self-talk and the way we talk to ourselves. And one girl was sitting in my classroom crying. Mm -hmm. She started sobbing in the middle of class. And so I had the students in groups and I went in the hallway and sat on the floor with her and she was bawling, telling me how stupid she thought she was and how she was never good at anything and she could never be confident. And then she pulls out her thesis statement she wrote for that day and they were brilliant. But she just didn't have any confidence and she had this huge breakthrough that day and she totally 180 after that one day that one moment but if i had walked in there like my job was to teach you that your thesis should have a subordinating conjunction in the beginning so you can make one clause <laughs> dependent on the other and all your topic if i had done that in class i probably never would have reached that student 
And that is doing my job to the best of my ability. It's not just teaching the academics. Well, ahead, I, think you, I think you do both, right? You've, you've got to tell, teach them all those things, but you also have to be inspirational and you also have to be compassionate. And, but not telling them specifically what to do to get through a thesis um, makes a, a, an essay seem mystical to them. Right, and part of it is to, to demystify, which is, I think the the reason you explain structure is like, oh, put this in your notes, and so what we're doing here is not some sort of magical thing that is unattainable for you, but we can actually break this down and make it attainable for you, and then you can say something brilliant because you are a wonderful person. So we can have that compassion, but also like, okay, this is what a structure, this is what the structure looks like. Yeah, that's a great point. I would like to point out just for a moment that making your students stand on their desks is an OSHA nightmare. <laughs> so are there one or two scenes where they stand on the desk? Uh, well, there's two. There's the there's the beautiful final scene. Right. It, that's then, when he's being fired. He's being yeah. fired and they stand. They go, oh, yeah. Captain, my Captain, the first yeah, yeah, scene. Yeah. But the first scene, he is telling them to stand on the desk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. My first year of teaching, I showed the ripping out the first page of, of poetry uh, scene because it's, it, it's got some power. It does. And, and I think um, I think it's important to make the distinction, you know, if you know anything, as we, as we all know, if you know anything about writing the story, there's a reason that he makes them stand on the desk and then the big finale is they all stand on the desk. You know what I mean? Right. And so... Um, but 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 I was watching it mostly, and I was noticing all the things that it's like you do not do that as a teacher. <laughs> and one of the things that I noticed is he touches so many students. <laughs> well, stop! I, I don't, Maybe it's I don't different think... at all boys school, but stop touching them. <laughs> I don't think that You're, was. I noticed upon. that too. Absolutely. I don't think that was frowned upon that way back in the day. Right, and 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 a lot of my notes. Uh, are irrelevant now because it's like 1959 and it's like that's just a free-for-all we, we had a we had a uniform or not uh, not a uniform a dress code at my class and we had a, uh, a collar uh, and i had a sweater on one time without a collar so my teacher walked up female teacher reached underneath my my sweater fishing around for my collar and then pulled it out and that, oh, uh, Lord. that was a pretty typical day in 1985 that's not a big <laughs> you know free title the podcast tangent Can we talk yes. about Knox? <laughs> Cause we didn't talk about Knox at all. I would love like, to talk about Knox. Yeah. And he's the one, like someone already pointed out that he, it really does get very date rapey when he's trying to like caress Chris oh. as she's asleep. And he says carpe diem. So again, it's this interpretation of carpe diem being yeah. take what you want at everyone else's expense. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's like a caricature of the white male, no offense to some people in this room, but just while you're so in this offended. Room. Well, you, you know, but, um, she's not, it, she's not asleep. She's passed out drunk. Yeah, that's a good point, too. She's not even just sleeping. She's, like, inebriated. And then her boyfriend's supposed to be the villain. Like, dude, my, if, well, if I had a boyfriend, but if I did, he <laughs> fucking better punch some guy who tries to, like, molest me in my sleep. Well, and like, then she ends up with him in the end. Yeah. And Well, we, yeah, mean, so, we don't really, I mean, they, she. Oh, yeah, she's on a date with them, though. She does go <laughs> on a date with him. Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say the one thing that I do love about what happens, though, is when he goes and he reads her the poem and he comes back to school and all the guys are gathering around. They're saying, what did she say? What did she say? And he says, nothing. And they're like, what? Nothing. And then he says, but I did it. 
And I love that interpretation of this cease a day. It's not about the result necessarily. Yeah. It's about the inner internal changes that happen in him to just go for something like all out and really try and like to hell with the consequence, but he did it. So I just, that was like another moment I really liked in the film. I agree. I thought that was beautiful. Like it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter whether you succeed uh, or fail, but you try. You're not gonna, you're not gonna no, fail because you never did anything. What's that? It's a, no, it matters. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you guys something. As, as educators, did you feel sympathy? Did you feel, um, did you care about these students? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's pretty much a, a, a non-answer. You always care. Um, oh, no, not about your students, about these students. No, no, yes. I mean, that it doesn't even matter. They could be the worst people in the world. I, I cared about even the guy who I knew was gonna grow up to become Dick Cheney. I, and I cared about the guy oh, who yeah. I knew was Jared Kushner. <laughs> I, I just felt pretty thought You guys are much better people than I am, obviously. Wait, John. Why did you say I didn't? Well, goes without saying. I, I felt mo most. I felt closest to Ethan Hawke, right? I, I, yes, I, I, I wanted to help that kid out. I think Ethan Hawke. I mean, I know it's like an ensemble cast, and therefore there is strictly speaking no real protagonist. But I still, I think he's the POV character. Yes. Yeah. I agree. And um, uh, I, I, I cared about all of those kids, and again, e even that fucked up kid who winds up ratting on uh or selling out keating whatever his name and it's is. always the fucking redhead yeah, the baby fucking yes, ginger fucking is. gingers god no damn it cold. fuck you no hollywood fuck you. fellow leprechauns i watched that scene and i was so pissed <laughs> although he actually has one of my favorite lines of the film which is at the end when he's already like come out as an asshole um he turns to uh he turns to one of the other rich kids and he's like and you might want to consider doing the same thing too no wanda and uh that's such a great like fuck you to that culture you know the, the cultural appropriation of no like that's such a that's such a beautiful yes. moment um, and he's still a prick. <laughs> he's still a little shit, but I, I care about all of them. And uh, I identify with Todd, Ethan Hawke's character, uh -huh. the most because I felt, so I came I, from an abusive, uh, an incredibly abusive household, um, mostly, uh, mostly verbal and emotional cruelty, but uh, plenty of physical abuse is uh, just mostly the other two. And I was made to feel that everything, I was made to feel worthless and stupid. And I was made to feel that everything inside of me was, wasn't worth anything. And uh, that scene where uh, Keating pulls that poem out of him, uh, like it's a pretty great fucking poem for a 15 year old or whatever, but, but whatever, I just like, that's such a powerful scene. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that uh, that the idea behind that, I tell my students in every class, like there is nothing more powerful than, uh, you know, critical thinking skills combined with effective, clear communication. If you can, if you can like put a, a rational thought together, a good argument together and communicate it effectively, you have a leg up on so many people. And if you want proof of that, all you have to do is look at cable news. Um, and writing, I tell them that. 
writing is um, when you're employing writing and critical thinking, you're able to come to a higher level of consciousness through the act of writing, yeah. which is a pretty extraordinary thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the reasons that I, I write, uh, I write garbage in my journal sometimes just to process my thoughts on things. And uh, that's one of the ways that I, I come up with something that I can actually communicate out loud to someone without being embarrassed by it. Um, thinking out loud is very rarely a great thing, but writing that crap down, I think, really helps you uh, articulate it better later. And, and, and we, we should really wrap up soon. But these are... Uh... Or we just turn it into one big, massive five-hour podcast. Let's do it! Go! <laughs> Let's go! yeah 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 and michelle that's the laugh of i'm definitely not doing <laughs> and i'm with you but I, I i'll say i'll say that's the that's the that's maybe the greatest challenge of teaching young people is you want to force them to be moral good people polite people uh empathetic people but they're just not, they, they haven't spent enough time in the oven yet. You know what I mean? Like we're all like, I mean, you know, I'm the youngest person here, but we're, we've all lived life. And it's like, if you, if there was some kind of cheat code that we could just press to give that young person that life experience, we would all do it maybe. No, we would never do it. The process is the point. Well, I, well that's right. That's, well, no, that's exactly what I'm saying is the process is the point. Like as teachers, we want to just, God, why don't you get this? You know, like, but they have to live it. And so them being assholes when they're 16, like that's just the first step in the process of them, mm. you know, learning this whole ex life experience. Like, so by, by 30, they're normal uh, human being, you know. And David, as, as your former professor, I keep waiting. <laughs> one day, that, <laughs> which is just going to click, flip. Oh, John, you just, you just won the podcast. That. <laughs> with the best joke ever you son of a bitch <laughs> well it's because you're the ginger so we have to make you oh, and then michelle comes in with the torpedo that was good you're oh, welcome i pearl harbored that for sure oh, oh i probably shouldn't say that oh wow well at least, you, at least you made the joke and not the rest of us <laughs> oh my god i Holy shit. Oh, that is literally, I'm ending it. I'm ending it. That okay. Oh. You broke David. Oh.